Hello, hello, and welcome to In My Shoes. It's a podcast for women of color about the issues that we are facing on a daily basis, y'all. I am your host, Karen Davis-Thompson. So glad to be with all of you today. And this is a part of the series that I am doing called Black and Brown in America, where I'll be talking with various members of the community, including members of my tribe, as we all try to grapple with, with what's been going on in our country uh, for the last several months. So George Floyd was just the tipping point but uh, we've been living this for a while. And so today I have Toya and Janine with me. Say hello, ladies. Janine, tell everybody hello. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me on for this very important conversation. Thank you so much. And Toya, how are you today? I am well, Karen, Janine. How are you? I'm glad to be here. And thank you again for welcoming me as well. Thank you so much. So I've asked these two ladies, uh, we've already done one episode where we talked to some uh, moms who are raising boys. And so for this episode, I wanted to talk to two ladies. And I think you both have, no, Toya, how many children do you have? I have four daughters. Four daughters. And Janine, you have three daughters, correct? Yes, that's correct. All right. And so we're just going to be talking a little bit today about just your feelings in general, but also about raising Um, Black girls in this environment and whether or not we think that conversation is a little different than what we have with our sons. So first, let's just talk a little bit about your feelings in general about what you've been seeing, what's been happening um, since the death of George, the murder of George Floyd. So Toya, I'll let you start. What are your just feelings in general? Well, I can tell you my emotions have run the gamut. I'm sure just like your emotions or, you know, anybody's emotions, I've been depressed, been, you know, feeling defeated, feeling frustrated, feeling angry about this, because I feel like this is different. This is like, they're emboldened. You, you did this knowing that you were being recorded and you did it with no remorse. Like it was like you had the right. And I think that's where the outrage is from. You have no right to take somebody's life just because of the position that you held. That's you're you're not judge, jury, and prosecutioner. Like you executioner, you you have a job which is to safely, you know, take someone into custody and then the DA has to do their job. The police don't get to do the DA's job. And I think the frustration that we're seeing has just poured over because people are like, oh, no, 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 no. We cannot stand and let this happen because not only was there just not even I didn't I didn't really see a shred of remorse when this gentleman, George Floyd, was taking his last breath. Where was the humanity? We the police lack humanity. Oh, no, 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 no. I think we're at the end. I definitely felt at my end. And so I know the climate. And it, and to me, the climate is appropriate. It's right. And Janine, what about you? How are your feelings? Um, you know, they're very similar to what um, Toya mentioned. You know, it, it just kind of, you know, at this point, I'm just tired. Just like so many of us are, you know, um, we see the same storyline time after time again, and it's just, it's tiring, you know, it's extremely frustrating. Um, I'm angry, I'm sad, all at the same time. It's just, it's really disheartening. Um, so I'm just glad that, you know, we can have this discussion. Um, you know, I saw recently, I'm sure you all might have seen it too, um, there's a, 
um, a quote that's going around social media lately um, from Will Smith. But basically, he his statement was, it's not that racism has gotten worse. It's just being recorded, you know. So I think, you know, we've all known, you know, uh, systemic racism has been around since the beginning of time. And we all know that. But it's just now in our faces. I think at this point, we're we're tired of it. And it needs to stop. It's going to stop. And I, I'm, I love the fact now that so many other uh, races, people of different backgrounds and, and um, races are, you know, um, waking up to that. So I think there's, you know, something to be said for, you know, having those visuals as disturbing as it is to see these videos play out over and over again. I think um it does put us in a different space where now we're bringing it to the forefront to all of these other groups who may have, you know, kind of either have blinders on or just don't really want to, you know, face the facts and face reality of it, that the reality that so many of us are um, having to deal with on a daily basis. So. Thank you so much for just sharing how you're feeling in general. So let's talk now a little bit about raising girls in this environment. And Janan, I'll let you start. Your girls are, you have two that are, uh, one is about to start high school, one is already in high school, and you have an elementary school student. So they're old enough, especially your uh, two oldest daughters, to really uh, understand what's happening. And what have their thoughts been about this? And what have the conversations been in your home since the murder of George Floyd? Absolutely. Um, So we're, you know, really using this opportunity to have open and honest discussions with our girls. Um, you know, w- with my daughters, you know, we, we try to keep the, the lines of communication open. And, you know, as we just, you know, kind of talked about, they're, they're angry as well. You know, they don't really understand why this is happening. Um, we together, we watched the movie Selma last night. We actually watched that last night as a family together. Um, and so my girls are uh, 16, 13, and eight. Um, so they have a really good understanding um, of what we're dealing with right now. My eight-year-old, you know, she's, she's. I don't really quite think she fully understands um it, but she has she has a good concept. But like I said, you know, we we really try to um, to have these discussions with them and and let them see, you know, like what why it's so important to vote. You know, um, I don't know if you all, have, I'm sure you all have seen that that movie, but it's it's really crazy how history is repeating itself. You know, um, so we you know we talk about that. We talk about what's happening right now in this very moment. Um, we talk about the protests, and we've talked about why, unfortunately, some of our protests have gone um, in a violent direction. Um, and so they have questions about all of that. You know, they they question, you know, obviously, why is this happening? And, you know, why, why does it seem to be a lack of empathy from other groups? Um, and so, you know, just educating them as much as possible um, and encouraging them to ask questions. And if there's something that, you know, they're not understanding, you know, let's have that discussion. Um, but, you know, I try to really channel that the anger, especially, you know, my two teenagers, you know, try to redirect th- their anger and their frustration into more of, OK, let's 
really arm ourselves and educate ourselves. Let's let's talk about the past because all of that that happened before it's happening again. It just looks, you know, it might look a little different, but history always repeats itself. So just, you know, really, you know, taking this opportunity to um, you know, to educate ourselves and don't don't be afraid to ask questions and you know, engaging other groups, you know, they have friends of several different, you know, backgrounds and ethnicities. And now is not the time to, uh, to, you know, withdraw, you know, now is really the time to help educate and have those discussions with your friends. So, you know, it's just a difficult time, but I think communication helps a lot with it and just helping to kind of, you know, let them know that this is a safe place. Um, to have those discussions and ask um, and and get those frustrations out. So we try our best, you know, but, you know, again, it's just a really difficult conversation to have. And the fact that we're having this discussion in 2020 is just beyond me, but it's a harsh reality. Thank you, G, so much for that. Toya, how about you? I know your daughters are a little older. You have some, I think one at least that's a little younger, but you have adult daughters as well. What types of conversations have you had with your girls since uh, George Floyd's murder? Um, and just over the last you know, few months, obviously, this has been going on for, for quite a while. He's just the latest uh, in a number. So what has the conversation been like in your home? So I have a 22-year-old who's in college, so she's not home. She's off at college and not at home. 20-year-old who's home. And then I have an 11-year-old and a 6-year-old. And I'll tell you, my 20-year-old was the one who said, Mom, have you seen this? And she said, this is different. And that's all. She just said, this is different. And so I said, okay. you know. So I looked it up. And indeed, it's it it seemed different, but I would agree with what Will Smith has said that it's different because we can see it on video. It's not different because it's new and just you know now taking place. Now it's recorded, which really just breaks my heart, and it really broke her heart. And it was really it was like wow, I just watched somebody somebody died who, you know, didn't have to, this, this was over a $20 counterfeit bill. Like why? And so those are the questions that they're saying, like, why and how? And my husband is in law enforcement. So this is like, dad, how, how could this happen? And it's wrong, which is what my husband said. This is wrong. This should not have happened. This is not This is not an issue of training because anyone with a brain would know that if you kneel on someone's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, that the outcome, and if you don't know that the outcome is probably going to be death, then it's still your fault because what's wrong with you? You know, this is basic, you know breathing. The man is saying he can't breathe, which you know, I'm so glad the medical examiner came out and said, just because someone is able to talk doesn't mean that they can breathe. Literally, it's probably his body just, you know, using its very last reserve to fight to stay alive. And so for my older daughters, you know, it's explaining why and how this could happen 
my 22 year old is just like, mom, you know, we have to do something, you know, what can we do? And so as a mom, I'm looking up resources. Okay. Text this number. It was like, if you text five, five, one, five, six, but I think that's what it is. If you text five, five, one, five, six, text um, Floyd, then you'll get information on what to do on who can help, you know, and um, what you can do to help. So I'm just like, okay, well, let's get information. Let's see what we can do because really we do have to do something. Like this is not like a deer in the headlights, you know. No, this is habitual. We've had, you know, Ahmad Arbery and George Floyd on camera. We saw that happen. And literally the narrative regarding Ahmad Arbery was that he was caught in the midst of um of robbery when the video showed that that was indeed false. So when we know what has happened, we've seen what has happened, we have to act. And so that's what I've been telling my girls, listen, we have to act. We have to give money. We have to protest. We have to give time. We have to do whatever it is that's in our power. We have to talk to the people who don't look like us, who say they love us, who you hang out with. And we have to get them to say, look, this is wrong. What can we do about it? Who needs to hear us? So really, that's the conversation I've been having with my older girls. With my 11-year-old, she really has not seen a lot of this because she hasn't, you know, been watching television or had access to um, her phone because she does have a phone. But because all of this was so explosive, we took her phone. We took her phone and because we want to control what it is that she sees and we want to be able to talk about it. And I don't want there to be a veil on it. And so I just say, hey, there's no mystery. How do you feel? You know, let's let's talk about how you feel. And I don't introduce facts that she doesn't know. I just say, okay, well, what have you seen and how do you feel about it? And let's talk about it. So, and my six-year-old, she just has, you know, she has no clue that this is going on. It's not in her, you know, it's not in, in her vision at all. And what do you say, uh, I know both of you kind of mentioned this, but how do you, especially when they're younger and they're asking, you know, why do they, you know, why do people hate us so because of the color of our skin or, or what is it that, you know, people don't like about it? I'll, I'll let you start, Toya. How do you address that? Um, I know a lot of young people are asking, young kids are asking that question. Um, You know, why is that such, why do people hate it so? And and how do you address that? Okay. So I just say, you know, as African-Americans, we have a unique experience. No one else on the planet has been enslaved, you know, for 400, 401 years in the United States, except for us. It's a unique experience. And it's old, it's ingrained, it's hate, it's evil, just based on the color of someone's skin. And I let them know, people are taught as children not to like someone else just because of the way they look. It could be their skin, you know, and in that case, you know, that's what we're discussing, then, you know, that's what it is. But it's ignorant, it's evil. And 
just because they feel like it, it doesn't make it right. And then unfortunately, we have to talk about slavery and how that could even start in the first place, which is you cannot see people as human beings and treat them the way that our ancestors were treated. So I do tell them what happened as far as, you know, the atrocities that were committed against our ancestors, what was taken, why a lot of Blacks and African Americans today have the problems that we have in this country with racial discrimination, with racial bias, with racial profiling, with poverty. And I also relate to them. A lot of these things happen to people because we're not only Black, but then we're Black and we're poor. And we're poor also because of a lack of education. We lack education because education was taken from us. So it's it, it gets to be a very deep, winding conversation that you literally have to take a break from. And because we talk about it, I answer, my husband and I answer questions about it. And it's like a little bit at a time. You know what I'm saying? It's not like anything is going to be cured and everything is going right. to be in one conversation it's mm -hmm. ongoing conversations okay so this is what we talked about last night maybe we talked about you know how slavery happened okay now we can talk about you know how it was allowed to continue oh because then after we deal with the 200 years of slavery then we got to talk about Jim Crow you know and it's really a long conversation because even after slavery, we had oppression, you know, the oppression still existed. And then we, then I have to unfortunately tell them that this is not really in our history, like everyone wants to say. I can tell you, Karen, we have my, my neighbors that I love are two older white women. And one day we had a discussion about race and about, um, I believe somehow reparations came up. You know, and we disagreed about it. We disagreed about it because um, they felt like they're sisters and they're from an older generation. They're like 61, 60, maybe 66, one is 70. And we disagreed because they feel like, okay, that happened and that's done and that's over. But really, I was trying to get them to see the effects of it is not over. It's not done. And it's not in our past so far. I mean, come on. It was literally 19, 1960. Come on. 1960 is not even a hundred years ago, you know? And I really left that conversation saying it's not so distant and, you know, I want us to be able to talk about it. Um, we definitely left the conversation still in disagreement, but not in, you know, not in in an argument, not without love, you know, because these these are my neighbors. And so and so I think that back to to answer your question with the children. It's bit by bit. It's always a conversation. It's always, OK, this happened. How do you feel? Well, what do you think? And this is why some people think the way that they do. They've been taught it and it's not right. It has to always be a conversation and it can't be a surprise to your children. I think um, if we don't prepare them 
and then they are discriminated against or they um, suffer bias against them, then it's like, you don't want it to be like, oh, a surprise, which, you know, it probably will be initially, but then they'll have the thought, okay, this is, this is what my parents w- were talking about. Tell you about. Yeah. Right. I can imagine that. Yeah. You, you kind of p- prepare them, but even though you've been taught that it's possible when it happens, it slaps you in the face and it's like, wow, that, that really just happened to me. <laughs> you know, it, it will get you. And, and G, how has the conversation been in your home with your girls when they ask those questions and have they ever experienced racism firsthand and how did that affect them? How's that been in your home? Sure. Um, you know, we just really encourage them to just ask questions. Um, you know, my, my middle daughter just came out and said, you know, what is, mommy, What what is systemic racism? Like, what does that mean? She's like, you know, I've been hearing that, you know, and my husband and I, you know, we, we obviously like so many households, we have, this, this has been the topic of discussion. Um, and so, you know, we've always had very frank conversations with our kids, you know, um, I never want them to go out into the world and, and be uh, blindsided by the realities, you know, and so we just have raw conversations. I just say, you know what, ask me anything. You know, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and act like I have all the answers, but I'm going to try my best to, you know, answer as best as I can. But, you know, when when she asked me that, you know, we started talking about what does that really mean, you know, in this day and age? And, you know, just really explaining to them that although you're seeing this playing out now. And to be honest, and I just broke them down, laws and the way laws have have been brought to the table from the beginning of time, it was never meant for us as a people to excel, to be successful. You know, so you have systems that are ingrained in our government, in our laws, and in, in, in um, so many different, you know, aspects of, of our daily lives that really were meant to keep black people down. And so we talked about, and I gave her the example of voting rights. You know, you have so many people out there saying, oh, well, you know, the the voting, you know, the Voting Rights Act of, you know, 1965. And, you know, you guys, you guys can vote, you guys can go out and vote. Well, back then, and, you know, when we were actually watching the movie last night, you know, it was great for them to actually see what our, our ancestors and folks before us, our grandparents, or great-grandparents, what they had to go through just to be able to vote. And when they were allowed to vote, there were so many stipulations put in place and so many barriers that made it quite impossible to vote. One example was you could vote, but now your personal information now has to be published in the local paper. Well, who's going to do that when you've got KKK you know, you've got the KKK. And so in in those days, it's like, well, who would want to do that? You're now putting yourself and your family in danger because now, you know, not only ha- has your vote been published, your name, your address, everything is now published. And now you're a target and your family's a target. So that was a barrier right there. Um, another barrier to voting was that you had to pass a, liter- a literacy test, you know? And so those were the types of things that yeah, 
Y'all could go out and vote, but look at all the barriers that were put in front of us to prevent us. And so that's what that systemic racism really means is that, you know, there are just things ingrained to, to keep us down. And so we had that conversation and they, and we try to bring that to today and what they're seeing. And yes, we're seeing this story play out over and over again. George Floyd, you know, Ahmad, you know, Breonna Taylor, all the, the last recent, you know, and, and we talk about law enforcement and well, how were they able to get away with this mommy? This is not right. You know, and it's not, it's not right. But again, we go back to systemic racism. They're able, they, they uh, cover for these law enforcement, you know, folks, the, the cops, you know, they, they find loopholes to get around to it where they're not really held accountable. Um, and this is not saying all law enforcement and all, you know, police are bad. Um, there one, we have law enforcement in our family and we have, I have wonderful friends who are in law enforcement, but we have to make all of us as a people, whether you're in law enforcement, you're not, whatever, we have to stop this. And the only way we're going to stop it is not only for black people to, to speak up, but Everyone needs to speak up. This is beyond black, white at this moment. This is really a humanity issue, you know? And so that's that's really the discussions that we've been having. And, you know, like I told them, I said, it's not fair. And that it, it, it sucks. It has to be that way, but it's not. But this is the reality, you know, of it, you know? So I think it's really sad that, you know, at the age of eight, we're having to have these discussions with our children, eight and younger. You know, um, I have girls and I, I I would imagine, you know, discussions with boys are similar, but you have all kinds of other aspects that go into place. You got to talk about how to react when you come into contact with law enforcement. You talk about, well, how do you breathe when somebody's got their knee in my neck? How do I respond if you know, I want to walk down the street and I'm getting chilly. I put my hoodie on, you know, it's just things like that, that, you know, we have to have those discussions with our kids and it's not fair and it's not right, but it's just the reality of it. Thank you ladies for that. Um, and it's funny G that you mentioned the conversation with boys versus girls. That's, that's part of what I wanted to kind of get into today uh, for a bit. And so I know that, you know, I have a, a son and a daughter and while, you know, it appears as though it's disproportionately males who end up being the ones who are caught uh, in the crosshairs of this. Uh, we are seeing that several um, black women, black girls are also uh, being assaulted, killed as well. Do you think the conversation, um, G and I'll let you start. Do you think the conversation with girls is different with boys or do you think it's age? Like for me, you know, my son is driving, he has a job. So I'm always worried about if he gets stopped, you know, for what should be a simple traffic infraction and, you know, God only knows what will happen from there. Do you think there at, at this point is a difference in the way the conversations play out? You know, Karen, I'm not, I'm not really sure. You know, I don't have any boys, <laughs> but I would, I mean, I would imagine there are some, <clears throat> excuse me, some similarities. Um, but, you know, just as girls in general, and I would love to hear Toya's um, uh, view on this as well, but there are certain things that, you know, of course, age comes into play. Um, you always want to make sure that they can identify with what you're saying and you're not completely saying 
speaking to them in a way where it's not they're they're not connecting the dots. But I know for us and, and a huge thing for um, for girls and, and especially our our black young girls is that um, the the issue of adultification and really what that means. And there have been several studies, um, very credible studies done where the perception of our young black girls are more, they're, they're seen as less innocent or they, people react to them in a way where they view them as older than what they really are. Um, you see this playing out in classrooms. You see it playing out you know, all over in society. Um, and so our conversations really do, um, I, knowing that, you know, I, I really try to frame my conversations on things that our girls are having to deal with. And so my daughters have had, you know, um, cases and, and, and examples where, you know, a teacher or whoever might be a little bit more harsh on them for simply being social, you know, and it's just like, oh, well, you know, you, you're being disrespectful. Whereas if, you know, one of their peers of a different race, you know, have, happens to do the same thing, they're just, oh, well, they're just being outgoing and, you know, they're, they're just being outgoing. And so they, so they're having to deal with that. And like I said, there have been several studies um, that do show that that is a real thing, the adultification of our little girls. So I do try to frame our discussions around that. Um, and then we talk about one example was, and I kind of freaked out about this. We were um, shopping in the mall. This was before the whole COVID thing went down, but um, we, we uh, were doing some shopping. We entered into, we had a few bags. And so it's, of course, myself and my three girls, um, my husband was somewhere around. He tries to avoid us when we're shopping, but um, <laughs> we go into a store. We had several bags in our hands. And so there was one more store I wanted to go in. And so we go in there. Of course, it was one of my stores. So they're just like, OK, mommy, I'm, OK, let's find a seat or somewhere to sit. So they go and sit down and my oldest starts like fumbling through the bags and she's kind of getting stuff out. She wanted to see something that she had purchased in another store. And I about lost it. I absolutely lost it. And immediately, immediately, it's like I lost it because I thought that, oh my God, someone is going to think that you stole something or you're trying to steal something or we look suspicious. And she's looking at me like, oh my God, mommy, like I'm just getting something out of the bag. I want to, I said, no, Jazz. I was like, you cannot do that. And so we, we left, you know, I did, you know, I finished up in there and she's like, fine, fine. You know, she put it back in there in, in the bag and we walked out, but I wanted, I brought it back up to her because we couldn't really have that teachable moment in the store. <laughs> and so, you know, we leave the store and she's just kind of like, this lady is crazy. But we had that discussion. I just explained to her, I said, you know what? I said, maybe I did kind of overreact, but at the same time, this is a reality. I said, although you weren't, and I know you weren't stealing, but the initial perception of that and how it, many other folks might experience that as, you know, um, they may look at her and say, oh, well, there's no way she could have been stealing. Unfortunately, because you're black and because of the color of your skin, immediately 
the thought is, well, well, she's up to no good or she grabs something and try to put it in the bag. And so we did have that discussion later on and I explained to her why I reacted that way. But I mean, I would love to hear Toya's version of it as well. But again, you know, just going back to your question, I would imagine there are some similarities and, you know, before where you would only see, you know, our black men and our black boys being targets, they're killing, they're killing, our, our, they're killing women, Sandra Bland, mm-hmm. I mean, Breonna Taylor. I mean, they're killing us all. That's what I was thinking too, is in the beginning, it did seem to be more targeted towards black men, uh, which is why I was wondering, you know, at this point, do we think there's a difference in the discussion? Toya, what, what are your thoughts? Yes, I do think it's a difference. I feel safer than my sister, you know, who has two sons. And we've discussed that. So I know, and I also, I'll tell you, I worry about my nephews and my brothers and my husband more than my daughters. And I don't know if it, I definitely know it's a gender issue, but also um, age probably does, you know, come into play as well, you know, but I definitely think a conversation is different. I think black males are given a harder conversation, um, which they should because we're trying to protect their lives as parents, as aunts, you know, as uncles. My husband will make sure that he speaks to my nephews, you know, about encounters with police, encounters, you know, with racism, how to behave when you're out. And Janine, I have definitely had the uh, a circumstance, as you described, where, you know, I'm a mom and I'm thinking, oh, no, no, you know, don't do that because you don't want people to think that, you know, something untoward, you know, is going on that you may steal, that you may. And we, we do, we do that because we want to protect our children and because we can see what they can't see. So to answer your question, yes, I think that mothers of boys are on a higher alert than I am, um, as a mother of, of daughters. And also because, you know, boys have that testosterone and, you know, they're thinking I didn't do anything wrong. You know, why would, you know, why would this happen? Even though we know that it does happen and that, you know, sometimes an innocent encounter, a traffic stop, as you stated earlier, can turn deadly in a matter of seconds and in a matter of minutes. And as parents, we want to prepare them. We want to, you know, tell them, I'll I'll tell you with my girls when, um, so my husband, you know, is the one who had the talk with them about how to act, you know, when you are stopped by the police. But he'd always say, I, his, his first thing was, if you can call me, just call me. I'd rather be, I want to be on the phone. I want to hear the encounter. Um, I'll talk to them, whatever, you know, I, I want to be on the phone. This is before, you know, cameras and everything were, was out, but it, he was just like, um, just, you know, I'd like for you to call me, but if you can't, just keep your hands on the wheel. When the officer approaches, your window should already be down and you just let them know that the registration is in the glove box, that your license is in your purse and that you are not armed and ask if for permission to grab this. Tell them where it is. Grab that. And he has definitely educated my, my nephews in the same manner and also 
even went even further with them because just as Janine said, adultification is real. They will look at our children and they are not given the same pass. They are, uh, they look at them as if they're older, as if they are more responsible, which, you know, of course they're not because, you know, they're the same age as, as your child. And just like you wouldn't expect your child to know certain things, my child doesn't know either. So she is right. They are seen as older. They're seen as more um, aggressive. They're seen as more menacing. And so our job as parents, we are to educate them. And yes, I do think the conversation is different with our girls than it is with our boys. Thank you so much. The the one thing I think, you know, as I said, I have a boy and a girl um, that I think is what they attach to our boys more than our girls is the whole, you know, I, I felt threatened. Um, they were very threatening, you know, for girls and for women, it's more, you're so angry, but for boys and for men, there seems to always be this narrative that uh, they were, you know, it was very threatening. They were intimidating. Those are the words that they use when they talk about our uh, black males. Um, but it does appear, you know, when you look at what's happening, that there is even an increase in the number of girls who are also being uh, killed or assaulted, which is why I was wondering if you guys felt there is a difference. I do think that's the subtle thing that I see with our girls and women. It's more you're angry. And for boys, it's always that they're threatening and intimidating, no matter how low your voice is, no matter how deep, you know, oh, I, I, I just felt so intimidated. That's what you hear. Uh, that's the narrative that you hear people use quite a bit. Uh, so thank you for that. And just as we're wrapping up, I just wanted to get some final thoughts on uh, what do you all think you see happening in the future? What What are you hoping will happen as a result of what's been going on, the protest as it relates to what happened to George Floyd? I mean, as you see, it's not only happening here in the United States, but um, just all uh, all across this globe um, in other countries, people are protesting, saying his name, talking about the injustices that are being done to black people. And so what are you hoping to see happen long term as a result of this? Uh, Toya, I'll let you start. I'm hoping to see real change. I'm hoping to see equality. I'm hoping to see access to education, access to jobs. I'm hoping that just because my skin is black, that I won't have a harder time getting a mortgage, that I won't have a harder time moving into a neighborhood, you know, that that I want to move into without driving in my car and someone, you know, looking at me and accusing me of not belonging. That has been a real issue with me is to see black people in spaces and for other people to literally, you know, boldly approach them and say, Hey, you know, you, you look like you don't belong here. Um, can I see some identification? Um, I'm going to call the police. Like I'm really looking for some real change where people will expect us to be in spaces and not accuse us when we are in those spaces of being somewhere where we're, where we're not supposed to be. Does that make sense? Like I'm Oh, I, it makes sense. <laughs> I'm hoping that they'll see us as human beings, that they'll see us as equal and as, able and 
not as the enemy, not as, you know, someone that they should fear, not as aggressive. You see my, I want, I want other races in particularly, you know, people who really think that they're higher because of white supremacy to see that, listen, we're all equal. We're all created in the image of God. We're all, we all should have, should be treated with dignity, should be treated with respect, not because of what you see, but because of who we are. Like, I'm really hoping for a true change and not just like a surface, you know, or um, a short you know, little change just because it's in our vision, it's in our ears, you know, right now, right now we can't escape it. Anywhere you go, you're going to hear the name George Floyd. You may hear Ahmaud Arbery. You may hear Breonna Taylor. You, because really we're in a pandemic. We don't have anything else to talk about. We have the time for this right now. A lot of people don't have jobs. And so, oh yes, we can protest. We have the time for it because we know the importance of it. People are risking their lives. We're, don't forget, we're in a pandemic. So to be out here protesting, you literally are putting your life at risk. You don't know who has COVID-19. We have people who are asymptomatic who, you know, are getting other people sick and they don't know it. So literally people are risking their lives because this is important. And the result of it, I'm hoping, is a true change. And that when Black people enter spaces, we're not seen as interlopers, but we we belong. We're there because we belong there. So I think that's my greatest, my greatest, you know, hope with that is that we will get that access to education. We will get that access to, you know, mortgages. We will get the access to spaces that people think for whatever reason are white spaces that we will get access and we will belong and we will be welcome and that we won't be murdered. Thank you so much, Toya. Angie, how about you? Amen, Toya. I was amening you the entire time that you, you said a mouthful right there, but ditto what you said. And in addition to what Toya just said, she's everything she said was absolutely correct. And I, I agree 100 um, percent. I would also love to see some real like legislative changes from all of this. Um, I, I, and I want to go back to the importance of voting and really engaging our younger generations of how important it is to vote. And we're already having those conversations with my kids at 16, 11, and 8, the importance of voting. Yes, you cannot vote right now. The, the, the voting age is 18, but it's important. And we need to ingrain that in our children and, and just in society in general. I think the, the narrative in the past and the thought was that, well, my little old vote, what's that going to do? You know, but as a people, you know, we, we can make a change. We can make change. But I, I really want to see some legislative changes. I want, um, like Toya said, access. You know, I just I, I want to be just let, let us be. How about that? How about we start there? How about just let us be? Let us be able to do our jobs. You know, I've been seeing these videos going viral of People just out doing their jobs, UPS, FedEx workers going into neighborhoods and being questioned 
on what they're doing in their neighborhood or delivery companies, you know, things like that. Let us be able to go out and enjoy a picnic or go to the park or enjoy a barbecue. Let's start there. Let's be neighbors. Let, let, I, I want to be able to walk out freely into my neighborhood without being harassed or questioned on whether or not, whether or not, are you lost, ma'am? Are you lost? No, I'm not lost. I live here. You know, I own a house here. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, it just, it, it, I'm sorry. I just, I get real passionate about it because it's like, let's just start it just letting us be, you know, or having my husband leave the house or my nephews be able to leave the house and not worry that they will be profiled or have an encounter with law enforcement that will, will not allow them to come back home. You know, let's just let, we just want them to make, make it back home in one piece alive, breathing, <laughs> you know? So it's just, it's just so much, you know? So I, I want to see us just be able to live our lives. Um, and just, you know, having access to those things that Toya, you talked about, you know, um, really just generating real change. And just a lot of these um, large companies um, that have a lot of power, a lot of funding, I would love to see them really, really spark real change. And I'm tired of seeing these safe, generalized statements out there about, oh, we're all in this together. And no, let's address systemic racism and let's talk about it. Let's have those uncomfortable conversations. That's the only way we're going to make some change. And we talked about it before, but we're seeing a lot of other races, folks of other backgrounds and nationalities come into the conversation. And I want to see more of that because that's really that that's really how we're going to spark change. We can't do it on our own. So, um, yeah, that's, those are some of my thoughts. Thank you ladies for that. And I would encourage people to remember that as you talk about the importance of voting and legislative changes, November 3rd, we'll be here before we know it. And that is the day we go to the polls for not just the presidential election, but your judges, a lot of your school boards, city council, county commission, all of those things show up on those ballots. Um, you know, there were uh, some states that just had um, election days for some local seats. So, you know, just encouraging people to pay attention to that and always to be ready to make their voice heard with that vote. You can um, ask to vote by mail, mail-in ballot if you're uncomfortable going in because of we don't know where we'll be with COVID in November. Uh, but just encouraging people to do that because that is a definite way to affect change. Uh, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Toya and Janine, for joining us on this conversation. We'll continue uh, this series on Black and Brown in America. We think it's important for us to discuss it. If there's anything in particular you want to hear us talk about, you can always hit me up at KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. Again, that is KDT at InMyShoesToday.com. Until we have time to spend together again, be blessed.